Welcome back to another episode of Being an Artist is Fucking Killing Me. I'm Corinne. And I'm Rainy. Happy Tuesday. Happy pod day, y'all. Welcome back to the pod. Yeah. This is our third last episode? Yeah. Of season five? Yeah, and we have a couple things to remind you of. A, let's vote these fucking conservatives out <laughs> of office. Yes. Um, are you registered to vote? Vote them out.ca vote to them check out.ca. your writing. Go check your writing. Um, figure out your voting day plan. Yep. Get your time. You're allowed three hours to go vote. Um, let's vote these motherfucking conservatives out of office. Yeah. It makes me really scared that they're trending up in the polls to have a majority government again. But, you know, let's, um, let's hold out some hope. Yeah, exactly. Because I have heard through the grapevine of people that are smarter than me that the both the liberals, oh, maybe not both of them, liberals or the NDP have both said or one of them have said that they will not support a minority government, which means nothing will pass and then we'll be back to the polls. Right. So you can't pass a budget with a minority government. So hopefully maybe that will be the case. There we go. Hopefully. Hopefully. Um, so yes, make sure you register to vote, figure out a plan. Yes. Vote them the fuck out. Yes. Our next thing that we have to tell you is somethingcreative.co is having a bye-bye baby immersive art and dance party celebrating bisexuality. Saturday, June 11th at 9 p.m. It's at Space on King. Um, go get your tickets. There's going to be some amazing, amazing artists. Something Creative is doing a lot of really cool work right now. And the, like, motivation behind the party is just, like, so beautiful. They recognize that, you know, during Pride, there's not a lot of... Um, bye know, events. Yeah, bye events. There's not a lot of events for people who identify as that. So they're throwing their event pre-Pride. Go check it out. Go get your tickets and support all these artists. Do you have your ticket? Do I have my ticket? Yeah. I'm not going to be there. Oh, why not? I'm out of the city. Are you going home? Nope. I'm in Chicago. Oh. Yeah, yeah. But you should go. I would be going if I wasn't in Chicago. (laughs) (laughs) Fair. How are you, Rainy? I'm good. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm okay. I'm feeling very overwhelmed by the... Well, I'm going to sound like a dick when I say this. feeling very overwhelmed by the amount of freelance work I have right now. Mm. But that is, I guess, a nice problem to have. And I shouldn't say yes to everything that comes across my email, maybe. Mm. Right. (laughs) But... You know, I'm feeling good about that. Good. Yeah. This week we have the lovely Nicole Fowl, who is an OG from season one. Yes. Um, OG pal. Like OG friend. OG friend. In the city. Yeah. (laughs) Really nice conversation about leaving the dance industry. And mental health and Mm -hmm. her personal experience with Alzheimer's and dementia and how that really like catapulted a lot of her art making. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so take a listen, let us know what you think. We have three more episodes left and go. Here we go. I had something else to say about somebody you talked to, but now I can't remember. <laughs> You've been there like a decade. <laughs> it feels like it. Um, we were six like, years. It'll be six years in September at this location. Yeah. Eight years with the company total. Right. So close to a decade with the company. Yeah, because I know you work for them in Alberta. Mm-hmm. Oh, you did? Yeah, oh, never yeah, again. That was terrible. Edmonton? Yeah, downtown Edmonton. Also, like downtown Edmonton. It was actually okay. I think it's one of those things that people like get really sketched out about. But if like you actually just like open your eyes and look at the situations, it's not actually like I would get walked Ooh, to I the subway. Mm. I wasn't thinking like it was sketchy downtown Edmonton. Oh. I was just thinking like downtown Edmonton is just, just like boring. Boring. Yeah, <laughs> fair. That's just usually what people mean when they say, Ooh, downtown Edmonton. And I'm like, No, no, no like, no. really? Like, everyone's fine. You can also say that about literally any downtown in any city. You and then like, Edmonton is like down inner city. Except now apparently it's better because there's the arena down there now. Oh, yes, yeah, so they're gentrifying a lot of it. Yeah. <laughs> I have friends who live in Edmonton and they like fucking love it. I loved living in Edmonton. Honestly, I did. Yeah. Because yeah. it's like... Because like, you lived there for school? Yeah, I went yeah. there for school. Yeah. And then I lived there to take care of my grandma after I left school. Right. But like, it's like small town vibes, but mm-hmm. like big city amenities. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I like that I love. Yeah, which I think mm-hmm. speaks to like a lot of people who like come from a small town. It's like I don't want to move to Calgary because that's like bougie and like white collar, white collar. Yeah, where like Edmonton is a little bit more like you like salt of the earth, mm-hmm. but you still have like the U of A hospital. Yeah, right. and multiple universities, literally like, renowned universities. Yeah, and, that's yeah. like literally where why my dad wants to retire in Edmonton is so they can be close to the U of A hospital. Aww, because <laughs> they get older. So fuzzy. <laughs> Because Lloyd Hospital doesn't even have an anesthesiologist. No, they don't have don't. one single on, one person on staff. They, it's, it's local anesthesia, but like, and it's but the wait list is probably crazy. Yeah, you just have to wait till the day that the guy from the U of A can come down. 
Oh man, this just like we just like did an intro about this, but this is just like it just like is peaking all of my like red flags about like access to proper healthcare and access yeah. to like fucking abortion care. Like it's just even just like you don't have an on staff anesthesiologist. And like maybe they do now, but not like that small of a city. No, but, and like maybe they do now, but right. I just remember like friends of mine would have to get their wisdom teeth out under like, a friend of mine actually had a malignant tumor removed on local anesthesia. Was awake. Yes. What's the difference between local anesthesia? So local it's anesthesia is just like an injection. It's like freezing. Like when okay. you go to the dentist. Lidocaine, Novocaine, yeah. those drugs. It's like the thing that you just like, the, you the spot, you don't. you don't. You're awake, but the spot is frozen. So you can't like feel anything, okay. but you're like very much awake for the process. Okay. Yeah. Sometimes it's used in combination with like laughing gas. So you'll be like woozy. You probably won't remember anything yeah. and the area will be frozen. Yeah. It's like anything that it's, it just reminds me of something that's like dental. Yes. Yes. Very yeah. much. Yeah. Also, that's like, what if you've ever had lidocaine or Novocaine uh, injected, it's also really strange because you feel it kick into your body and you feel your heart race. Mm. Have you ever had that happen? No, I've only ever done like full on anesthesia. Oh, okay. Which is so also wild. Every it is wild. <laughs> it's so wild. Especially it's so like, dangerous. Especially because like so I'm like Don't a very that, I'm like though. a very small person. Yes. I am really hard to go under. Like it takes a lot to put drugs? me out. Yeah, like a lot of drugs. <laughs> really? Like I have like made anesthesiologists nervous. <laughs> like I've heard it. Like I remember like one time I was like I had an IV. And they kept like putting it in and they'd be like, they'd like say my name to see if I was there. Yeah. And I'd be like, hello. And they'd be like, I remember after like the third dose, Ooh, yikes. he was just like, okay, Nicole, <laughs> we're going to think we're on a nice beach. <laughs> like, oh, we have entered hypnosis now. Yeah. <laughs> like, this, this isn't science anymore. No, this is oh desperation yeah. because they literally can't put any more drugs in my body. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. No, general anesthesia is very dangerous because they bring you basically to the brink of death, the slowest your heart rate can go without actually killing you, watch you to make sure you don't die, and then bring you back. Yeah. Which is like, wow, science. Like, good job. Yes. Good yes. job, science. Bringing us back from the brink of death. But they do it all daily the time. Basis. Yeah. I went under, like, for to get my tonsils removed, was terrified. Remember being laying on the bed with. My, my like doctor anesthesiologist by mm -hmm. me like there's like five people around me yes one person and they're like count down from 100 and i'm like okay 100 got to like 94 and that's all i remember next thing i know i'm waking up like hours later like in a ball yes. on a bed oh yeah, yeah no, no i did not have it's that very disorienting yeah i did yeah. not have that experience i had just the experience of like i'm not falling asleep and then and then like waking up and because i had so many drugs in my system being so high oh, like really really bad like the first time i was so cold like yeah. i was like had like, like having like full-on muscle spasms yeah and then couldn't swallow things properly because like it was still like in my system <laughs> and like i like literally was just like this going into the pharmacy to get like and i was like this looks great mm -hmm. um and then yeah the second time i woke up and i thanked every person who walked by my bed <laughs> Whether or not they had previously walked by my bed or not, I was just like, thank you, yeah. thank you. And like yeah. one of the nurses came over at one point and was like, it's okay, honey, you don't have to thank us yeah. anymore. That's so funny. I was so hungry, I remember. I like, and like. After your tonsils? Oh yeah, I just like, I was so hungry and couldn't eat anything. So they just like gave me like an unlimited fridge of jello. I love that. Just like, <laughs> Slurping orange and red jello down, the, like a little like shooter. Oh, um, but I remember just being like very hungry, but also cold. Like I remember yes. feeling like very cold. Cold. Yeah. Yeah. So like lidocaine or Novocaine, when they inject it to you, makes your heart race mm -hmm. and it makes you lightheaded. Mm -hmm. And so you can usually feel it kick into your system. Mm -hmm. And they like anytime I've had dental work or a leak procedure where they serve your, freeze your cervix, they're like, we'll wait about 10 seconds, ask you how you feel and mm -hmm. only proceed if you can like feel okay. And I had it at the dentist where they actually had to wait a full two minutes because I felt like I was going to throw up. It was like so lightheaded and dizzy. Mm -hmm. They're like, oop, give you a lot. And I was like, yeah, yeah probably. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. Maybe smaller doses to start. But that, it's hard. I mean, how do you even fucking know? Like, like you said, Nicole, like you're a small person, but it takes a lot for you to go under. I'm a tall person and it takes like nothing. Like I can't even have a full Advil, you know? Like, yeah, it, it's hard to 
to judge. judge how people's body like chemicals yeah. react to medicine. Well, like my yeah. my roommate who's a nurse was saying that it might just be like for me, it might just take a while for my body to absorb things. Yeah. So it might have just been like not so much that like I wasn't responding, but that it was Slow. a delayed response. Mm. Slow absorbing. Mm. And so then that's when they just like pumped me through full of stuff. And then <laughs> Hope you did die. <laughs> Um, anyway, I mentioned, can we dive into, because I think it relates to your fringe piece, Nicole. Yes. Um, how you were taking care of your grandmother after you finished school in Edmonton. Right. If you want to. Yeah, of course. No, that was, that was a really interesting experience for me. Um, it was like very sudden. So, um, my grandfather passed away very suddenly, mm -hmm. um, a few months after I decided, already decided to leave school and, uh, I remember I was like sitting on my couch and I was watching John Panette's I'm Still Hungry, um, his like comedy special on like on YouTube. <laughs> and I get a call from my mom and she says, hi, they've taken Gigi to, so there's like, it's not a hospital, it's like an isolated emergency ward. Mm -hmm. um, I don't remember what they're called. No, they're living in their own home still. Oh, okay. And so she's like, they've taken him to this emergency ward. We'll be there in two hours. Can you get there? Mm -hmm. And I was okay, what happened? And she's like, he has a stomach ache. That's all we know. Yeah. And I'm like, hey. <laughs> and so I like drove there and um, 52 hours later he was gone. Wow. And it was just like out of nowhere. Um, we think he was ready to go. Mm -hmm. mm. Like I'd been noticing symptoms for a while and like you can't force someone to get help who doesn't want help. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and so... Yeah, obviously we can never prove that, but I think it was just his body was just ready to go and he decided that he was ready to go as well. And um, yeah, but then my grandma, who was already suffering from dementia, yeah. we realized very quickly how much he'd been covering for her. Mm. And oh, so wow. it was a lot worse than we thought. Mm -hmm. And it was like, she cannot live alone. Mm -hmm. Also, this is a woman who's never lived alone. Mm -hmm. Like she grew up in, in the patriarchy of like the 1940s. Yep. So she lived with her dad and then she lived with her husband. Mm -hmm. Like she never, she lived with her sister for a while. Right. But it was like never on her own. And she's like in her eighties with dementia alone in a big house. It's like paranoia. Yeah. So... I'm, I had nowhere to live because I planned on moving to Toronto and ended up getting a contract in Edmonton. So yeah. I was sort of in limbo as it was. And so we're like, here's a convenient solution. Um, also because we couldn't get her into care because no care center would really take her. They were like, we can't prove that it's dementia. Yeah, there's like this whole memory testing thing that they do that's like, if you pass these tests, you are fine. And I witnessed those tests and I think there's like the sliding scale on it is like highly suspect to me. Mm -hmm. um, like I, my grandma didn't know what day it was, but she knew to look at the calendar. So there was like... So she could problem solve her way out of not She could problem solve her knowing. way out of it. So they were like, she's okay. And I'm like, she has no idea what year it is. Like, I don't know how that's like okay for you. Right. Um, so it just sort of was like, either we pay someone to come and live with her 24 seven, which we can't afford. Yeah. Or, you know, we find something else and it was just sort of something we're like, we'll see what happens. And it was very much like a month by month thing. And it just was something that lasted two years. Um, and she steadily declined throughout that. And through that, like, you know, my mom is like trying to get like power of attorney and like all of these things that would like help us get her the care she needs. But like, we're also combating a system that wants to keep seniors in their homes. Mm -hmm. And because I was there, they're like, well, someone's there to take care of her. She doesn't need to be there. And like, meanwhile, like my mental health is like done. Mm -hmm. Of course. And it's just like, we're sort of like, how can we, like, what do we do? Like, how do you advocate for someone who like, when you know what's going on with them, but like no one believes you. Yeah. And people's like, it's just normal aging. It's just normal aging. And it's just like, girl, I came home one night to this woman like cutting her skin off because she'd caught her arm somewhere on like a cupboard. Oh God. And, and I don't know, cause she doesn't remember what happened. Yeah. I like come home from work. She just scraped herself? She scraped herself, but it had pulled back like layers <gasps> of skin. Oh. oh my God. And she's just like sitting there with the kitchen scissors doing like minor <laughs> surgery. <laughs> I like walk in and I'm just like, so we're gonna wash this. And like, I had some gauze and stuff from like a surgery of mine that I'd had. I was like, we're just gonna wrap this up. This is like, it's this is just what we're gonna do. Yeah. 
But then, of course, she doesn't remember why there's a bandage on her arm. And she takes it off. So she takes it off. Yeah. So it was like such, it was just like stuff like that, where it's just like daily living was just like. Also, you're not a nurse. You're not. No. You're not someone who can detach themselves from this situation because no. this is your grandmother. Yeah, and I'm like 20 years old. Like, I can barely take care of myself. Yeah. <laughs> so it was fine. Like, she was still very much able to, like, cook and clean and, mm -hmm. like, take, like, I didn't have to, like, bathe or dress her or anything. Mm -hmm. Like, my role was mostly to make sure the door got locked at night and that she felt safe and secure, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. And she had someone who she could ask questions to when things happened that she didn't know. Whatever. Yeah. But, yeah, it really, it really bugged me the way that the healthcare system was set up for that sort of situation. And just like the amount of advocacy that we had to go through. And like she got into a home and four days after she got in, they evicted her because she had, so you have to get testing, mm -hmm. but then you can only get into a home once you've been tested and they determine the level of care you need. Sure. And then you go on the wait list. Mm -hmm. You don't go on the wait list before, mm -hmm. but then it's like a six month wait list. Right. Well, this is a degenerative disease. Mm -hmm. It's just going to get worse and get worse. So six months later, she gets into this home, but she's gotten to the place where they don't have the level of care that she needs. So they said she can't stay here because she can't make her way to the breakfast room alone. So she came back to live with me. <laughs> <laughs> also, like, these homes are so often, like, mismanaged. And, yeah. like, this is elder abuse. And there's, like, so many things that happen in, like, so many of these homes that aren't. Like, they're not properly being funded and they're not properly being monitored. Exactly. Well, that's because a lot of them have become private under the conservative government. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And we saw what happened when COVID severe, and they were yeah. before COVID, they were severely understaffed, had no resources because they're all privately run by the same fucking company. Yeah. And yeah. thousands of people died. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. It's fucking sad. And like, staff like steal from all the people and like steal like jewelry and like clothing. Or they like just aren't monitoring them. Yeah, in the way and that sometimes it's other it's other residents. Like my grand my other grandmother who also had Alzheimer's. Yeah. Um, which is also why this is so hard, like personal for me. This piece that I did for Fringe. Yeah. Because like I lost her when I was nine. Like I don't remember her. Mm -hmm. You know, like I remember her being in a home. Mm -hmm. I remember walking her from like her room to the sunroom and talking to the parrot and coming back. Like. I have like one memory of her when right. she was like herself. Mm -hmm. And like it's her like coming up the basement stairs and just being so joyed, overjoyed to see me at the breakfast table. Mm -hmm. And it's like that like two seconds, like that's what I have of her. Mm -hmm. And everything else is like another version of her. Right. And so I know her through like stories that my dad has told me mm -hmm. about who she was. Of course. But like I lived with a lot of guilt for most of my childhood childhood teenagerhood I guess because that's when the grief started to set in like I didn't grieve for her right away because mm -hmm. it's like yeah she's old she died it happens mm -hmm. that was like right. very much my relationship with death as a child it was like People something die. that happened and I was very fine with it and then when I was a teenager that's when like the the loss mm -hmm. kicked in mm -hmm. and I was like I don't have this grandmother that I really really wish I had in my life because my other grandmother loved it a bits, but her grandmothering style is very different. Right. And yeah, I it was it was really hard to be like, wow, that person was taken from me mm -hmm. from something that like you know, and she she wasn't old either. Like she wasn't young. I think she was in her seventies when mm -hmm. she went. But right. like you know, from a lot of, I don't I don't have a timeline because I was so young too, but I remember when she got diagnosed and I remember when they put her into care because my grandfather was just like, like he was old too, yeah. right? He's like, I can't, she falls, I can't pick her up. Mm -hmm. You know, like, yeah. they, and she was a wanderer. Mm -hmm. She'd like wander out of the house. So like that was also a security concern, mm -hmm. right? For him, like he can't go anywhere without her because mm -hmm. he can't, you know what I mean? Yes. So it was just like, having that sense of like watching and I and I watched that descent I actually this is another big guilt thing but like I was like eight years old I think and I stopped visiting her because it's hard to watch yeah well and it was the ward like she's in an Alzheimer's ward and I was very very young and I didn't understand what Alzheimer's was no. so I'm like walking into a ward full of elderly people who are more or less reverting to like a childlike state right and it was very jarring 
And some of them were quite creepy. Not like in like a predatory way, but just like, because I didn't know what was going on. Yeah. I was like, why is this woman holding a doll? She's 85. Totally. <laughs> like, so it was just like, I understand yeah. now that's yeah. like very therapeutic. That's like important. Some people revert back to, like, it's fine. Yeah. But it's just like when I was I eight years yeah. old and the smell of that place. Yeah. They smell so bad. Like, I just, I, I remember I walked in. I was like eight years old. I walked in. I took like three steps in. I saw this one woman who like had really sunken eyes coming towards me and I took one whiff and like almost threw up mm-hmm. and I just looked at my dad and I was like dad I can't do this mm-hmm. you have very vivid memories as a child I do not have <laughs> I hear that a lot <laughs> but yeah my dad just said it's okay like go sit in the car I think there's also something like internal in you as a kid like because we're constantly brought up with this like fear of aging and like fear of death like I had a very I like was very aware very young about death would like mm-hmm. have anxiety thinking about it like I remember mm. being like three and being like scared to fall asleep because of it mm. and like I think that that's something that just like you internalize as a person because you see it all around you and then when you go into these places you like see it in front of you you see like the what happens when you age and because mm-hmm. we all have this like fear from when, when we're younger it like scares you even though you can't like put it together why it's like there's something inside of you that's just like mm Totally. For me, it was even more so because I like I grew up with a lot of death as well, just because like my grandma's the youngest of many siblings. So mm-hmm. like I just watched a lot of aunts and uncles pass very young. And but like I like I kind of said before, like death never bothered me. Mm-hmm. I was always very confused why people were scared, like were worried by death. Mm-hmm. Right. Because I was like, they're old. Well, and like <laughs> because I grew up in a religious household, I was also um, like, mm-hmm. we're gonna see them again. Mm-hmm. Why are you sad? Right. Mm-hmm. Like, it's going to be a little bit longer, but, like, we're going to see him again. Right. Like, that was, like, me coping with that. And so to be in that space and to see, and so, like, why I brought that up is because my grandmother actually had her wedding ring stolen by her roommate. Oh, at the plate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? Because people don't know what they're doing anymore, right? Like, it's like your mental state is, like, completely not... Yeah focused in on the reality of the moment Mm -hmm. and so yeah it's like a lot of the theft that happens in some places it's like maybe it's staff but it could like just be depending on where you are like it just could be other residents like friends like that or like people that come in to visit you that decide that they want those things and don't want anyone else to take them because there's no proper will right yeah like there's just a lot of ways that you can kind of and so I understand why there are like rules and like strict rules in the system like it's like this dichotomy of like I understand also we don't want a system where p- people are just like dumping their parents in homes right because oh, you see percent. that happen a totally. lot too if people yeah. just like I don't want to take care of this person blah blah yeah. blah I'm just gonna put them in a home and then they never visit them because yeah. we go my grandfather visited my grandma every single day yeah mm. sometimes yeah. twice a day yeah like she was not alone but there were people who oh no one no ever visited family. no one not a single so person sad. and it's just like I understand that we don't want that mm-hmm. But it's like that, then if we have this very like concrete mindset of we want to keep people in their own homes, it's like, but what is the capacity of that? Like you can't paint everyone with the same brush and say like, just because, okay, like, you know, this now grandma who's still alive with her, it's like, yes, I was there. Yeah. Like on paper, there's someone who can take care of her, but like, I was not a good caregiver. Right. Mm-hmm. Like I am, you know, like I was not the person for that job. Like right. I had a short temper. I was like very emotionally invested right. yeah. and emotionally reactive. And like, and it's hard too, because you can't, you get mad at someone for something that they can't control. Mm. And then like and you feel three bad. minutes, you feel bad and you can't apologize because they don't remember the argument. Oh God. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, <sighs> Okay, I guess, like, I'm just going to go cry on my floor now because <laughs> that's what I've got. Um, so, yeah, I just... It's actually, the first piece that I ever did, I think you were in that, Rainy, mm-hmm. that's what that was about. It was about the frustrations of that caregiving process. Yeah. And then when we did Fringe, it was about, like... It had come from a long time of me learning about Alzheimer's because mm-hmm. I became like very, very invested in it mm-hmm. of like, I need to know everything about this disease because it has taken some people that I care about and I need to like know. Like when my grand- first grandma died, I was like nine years old and I was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cure this thing. Yeah. Like this is not going to keep happening. And 
so that's when I started to understand more of like the biology behind it. Mm -hmm. And I was like, this is the thing that people don't understand is it's like, it's not just memory loss. The degenerative nature of the nerves. Exactly. It's like your brain, parts of your brain are being destroyed. They're, they're dying. Your brain is slowly dying Mm -hmm. like section by section, cell by cell, like synapses that used to fire are no longer firing. Mm -hmm. Like, it's not like something, it's not that this person is just getting old and it's like, and sometimes like a lot of times with dementia, you'll see like personality switches. And it's because like there's some, some research has shown that some dendrites that used to form a synapse with a dendrite that is now dead. Yeah. That neuron will just fire with another neuron now. So it's like creating new synapses that never existed before. Right. And so that's creating like sometimes a whole new personality mm-hmm. of this like person. Can result in like anger issues, right? In older yeah. 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 So that's yes. why when you see a lot of some of these people, they do they angry, they start act out. they act out, they yeah. call their children horrible names, they start rumors about people in their family. Like it's not something they have control over. It's literally a biological thing that's manifesting. Mm-hmm in like something that seems very personal. And it's Mm -hmm. like, that's something that I wanted to get across. And then because of my experience as a caregiver and just like looking at like the mental health side of it and like also going through my own mental health journey in Fringe, I was like, I think this is like a really important connection to make Mm -hmm. of like there are things, because I think I'd healed a lot more from like the whole like Alzheimer's aspect of it. And I was like, I want this piece to be about just like mental health in general, whether it's a degenerative disease, Mm -hmm. whether it's depression, Mm -hmm. whether it's anxiety, whatever it is, there are things that we, like there are like neurochemical imbalances happening in our brains. There are actual like physical biological things happening to people. And the lack of education at least like when we were growing up, Mm -hmm. you know, it like makes it, like I was saying to my therapist the other day, I was like, I didn't even know I had depression until like a few years ago. And I've like had it since I was like 17. Yeah. And it's just like, and I was like, and I'm, I grew up, I said to her, I was like, I grew up white middle-class in Alberta. Yeah. Like if I didn't have access, like, Mm who had, you know what I mean? Like yeah. I was like of a demographic that was the most likely to get access. Totally. And so it's like these things were just very important for me to, to start a conversation. Like the piece, I think another thing that I found watching other pieces about mental health and Alzheimer's yeah. is I felt like a lot of works were about, he, A, here's exactly how it feels like, mm-hmm. or B, here's a solution. Right. And I was like, I don't think those are things that you can actually truthfully mm-hmm. portray because, A, you don't know what everyone's experience is like. Because I saw a piece in Fringe a few years ago, which was a lovely piece. Like, don't get me wrong. Um, was it dance or was it theater? It was theater. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you can't put this experience into words. Mm. You can only put this into mu- movement. Mm. Interesting. Because you can't, like, I was, like, sitting there and watching it and identifying with the story but not feeling anything. Mm-hmm. Huh. And I'm, like, it's because Like, it's it wasn't such... making you emotional? No. Hmm. And I was, like, it's, I felt, and this is, like, obviously a very subjective opinion, right? But, yeah. like, I felt, like, it was, like, these are these things that we don't know how to talk about. Right. We don't know actually how to put some of these feelings. And I think that's part of the issue of, like, reaching out with mental health mm-hmm. is, yes. like, and that was something like that was like um, you're in Sophie's duet mm-hmm. in in the fringe piece was about like you want to reach out and there's people that want to hear you. But like, how do you bridge that gap? How do you know how to reach out? How do you know how to talk to people about it? And how right. do people actually do they actually know how to respond? Can you trust that they will know how to respond? Right. Like there's this whole like communication breakdown that happens um that comes from you know a lot of things but a lot of it is just like not understanding what's going on Mm -hmm. and also living in a world where like you don't always feel like it's okay to be the one to reach out yeah I just like keep hearing you like I'm interpreting this all as like it's all fear right like we don't know if we can reach out we don't know how to interpret things we don't know this we don't know the right thing to do it sounds like a lot of fear in like being not the per or not being perfect in like how you treat the person that is reaching out with you 
Yeah, and I think it's just because it is so nuanced. Yes. Like everything to do with these things is nuanced. And there is this like fear of, it's not like you have a broken leg, I know how to fix this. Yes. It's like, we don't know anything really. We know a lot of things, but in the on a personal level, we don't really know yeah. anything. Like how do you get to that? It's a process. And I think, I think we're in a place in society now where we're like improving, mm -hmm. but yeah, I feel like it still is a real struggle to, yeah, you don't, you don't want to push people away. Yep. You don't want to be a burden. You don't want to be, you know, all of these things. And I think even people who have like a degenerative disease, it's like you lose that independence mm -hmm. and you don't want to lose that. And you don't want people to have to be like, oh, I have to do this for grandma. It's like you want that to be on your own terms. And so it's like then there's this also this communication of like, what are your actual needs? Yeah. Like, can we be realistic about things? And sometimes you can't. Mm -hmm. And it's like that's a thing that then like you and your care team have to navigate. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So I think, yeah, it is it is fear. And it's also just like a lack of knowledge that just makes it like very hard to be like, how do I even navigate mm -hmm. this moment? When you were doing your fringe team or your fringe show, excuse me, did you come across or discover new ways to find that communication with people for your own mental health or specifically within the, within the piece? Like, did it help your communication? So that's actually funny because when I originally was like, I'm going to do fringe, yeah. I was like in a pretty good space mentally. And yeah. I was like, I'm going to make this thing about something that I've experienced because I have this lived experience about it. And I think it's important to share. And then, like, by the time we started actually doing Fringe, like, my personal life was starting to collapse. And, like, I was very much, like, living the experience that I was actively choreographing <laughs> for. It's too better for me. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, okay. Um, so that was a lot to manage. Because you, you were originally a 2020 Fringe, right? I was originally 2020 Fringe. Yeah. yeah, and then I deferred to 2021. And because I'd already planned to like leave the dance world right. after Fringe, mm -hmm. I was like, I'm not going to defer to 2022. Like I had, that was an option that they gave us when right. it was decided it was all going to be online. Mm -hmm. I was like, no, like this is a thing. I need this chapter to come to an end. Mm -hmm. And I want to like end it on my own terms. And I don't want there, like I have everything in place I felt at this right now to do this. Okay, like I'm just going to do this. This is... We'll just have to keep going. Okay, this right, is cool. this is what we have to do. And, um, yeah, and then everything sort of started to crumble, and I was like, oh, I had a plan that would have worked yep. if everything was the way that it was when I made the plan, <laughs> and now it's not, and now I have to adapt the plan. And that's when I kind of came into rehearsals and was like, Fringe is going to be, like, not a masterpiece and it's like because I was like I'm gonna take this it's a personal journey now mm -hmm. it's about me yep. finishing this career yeah. with people that I care about right. and people I respect and going on this like creative process journey and then creating a piece that means something to me and that's what it's about it's not about making connections and being like the best of fringe and yeah. like like no networking at the tent yeah no I was like I, I took that pressure off of myself which Good. was actually really helpful yeah because on those days where I was like I don't know what I'm doing I felt I wasn't like everyone expects me to know what I'm doing I'm just like no like it's okay I don't know what I'm doing we'll figure this out mm -hmm. um but yeah it was like descending into like a very dark period for me and I was like coming up against all these things of like, how do I reach out to people? How, who do I reach out to? Like, how do I have this conversation? Can I have it with people? Like all of these sorts of things I was navigating and then I would go to rehearsal and like put that, it was like very helpful in some ways to choreograph because I was like, just put my feelings yeah. on bodies like <laughs> immediately. Um, but it was also like, but now I'm like having to sit with my feelings and yeah. it's not like you can't just like say, I will focus on that at like seven o'clock tonight mm -hmm. when I have time to focus on it. It's like, no, like I'm having to like go through these feelings mm -hmm. in Actively, a rehearsal process in, in a creative, exactly. Yeah. And yep, also yep, yep, people yep. who like, not everyone I'd worked with before. Right. And so it's like people I know in the community, but not that I like know well enough to be like, 
I'm just going to start crying actively in front of you. And like, that's fine, everyone, you know? (laughs) So it was like also finding that balance in the rehearsal process of like making this like an emotionally safe space for everyone, Mm -hmm. but also like holding myself emotionally accountable to be like, you also still have to like be a leader in this space. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And like facilitate this space. Um, So yeah, it created, I think it it affected the way that the piece came together in the end because like my emotions were like boom, 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 boom all over the place. And trying to like find, like the cohesion that made sense when I started out making the piece like didn't make sense anymore. Right. And I was like, okay, well, we have a very short window to make this piece um, because it's fringe and I've never produced for a festival before and I'm learning a lot of things about imposed deadlines. And it's um, like film, which is different than... And I've never person. made, like, yeah. a, like the only film I'd ever done, really, was, like, the dance in quarantine that Gal Pals put on. Right. Yeah. right? So I was, like, oh, very... Oh, dance for me, Nicole. And yes, eight, eight but I've it. never been, like, behind the camera. Got you. Yeah, 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 like, been part of the process, but never, like, at the helm. Got it. And so I was like, cool, full-length film? Great. We can, like, and it was, like, it was. It was a good challenge. I was like, I'm up for it. I'm up for this. Because, again, it's like, this is my swan song, you know? <laughs> so long, everyone. I'm going back to school. I'm just going to throw everything out there. Um, so... Yeah, but it definitely affected. And then once filming was done, I mean... I personally think it would have been funny for you to just, like, sit up a camera, pull up a chair, and just be like, this is everything that's wrong in this dance party. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to my friend show. And, like, I'm still a little peeved you didn't do that. But, like, I also... I get it. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So it was hard, too, because it was, like, then after filming was done... And, like, our community space was gone. Yeah. That's when my personal life shattered. And it was like, great. Now I have to figure out how to edit, how to do all of these, like, tech things. Yeah. But I also have, like, lost a major part of my my support system. And I am, like, going through... I was already in, like, a fairly dark place... Mm -hmm coming into that and then it was like great now I'm like literally feel like it's just like me in the ocean with like a piece of plywood and like a broken paddle you know you are Rose (laughs) yeah (laughs) and so it was like okay well now and I just I had to I actually did I mean you encouraged me to do this thank god but like could ask for an extension Mm -hmm. from fringe and just be like because I'd like took a week and just was in bed because I was also working two jobs at this time Mm -hmm. like you know it wasn't like this was the only thing I was doing I was working like a morning shift and a night shift. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it was just like a lot. And so I think it didn't affect my relationship with the piece, but it affected the piece. Yeah. And it was like, in the end, I was like, honest to God, I am so happy that I submitted something. Mm -hmm. Like it was like, that was what it was for me. I was like, you can walk away from this being proud that you went through like the darkest period of your life. Yeah. And put art up in front of other people yeah and like didn't put any expectations on it and just said this is a manifestation of my life right now Mm -hmm. like watch it yes and then nobody did um (laughs) 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 Um, i mean it makes me better i don't think like any fringe piece was watched on the online platform right yeah which was also very frustrating for me because I was like I get it we're tired of online stuff I totally understand yeah but also these are artists who've put months of work into this and you're just like it felt like you're just disrespecting those people by saying well we don't was like because fringe didn't do a good job no 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 No, like just like the general population of people who Mm. would normally watch fringe Mm. who were like well, I don't want to go. I don't want to watch it because it's online. And I don't want to watch online anymore. Yeah. And it's like, so all of the work that these artists, and like, not just me, like there are dozens of artists yeah. who put stuff up and worked through like wild restrictions, Yes. you know, and you're just like, mm, I'll pass. Mm. Like, I'm just going to not give space for that because like, I don't want to. And it's like, you want artists to make art. Mm-hmm. You want them to be there, but then, like, when things out of their outside of their control affect the way that that art is produced, 
you like then are like, I, I, I actually like don't want to support this right now. Yeah, I think the problem is with that was that like fringe, like there's a time and a place for every, like everything has its like niche, you know? And I don't think Fringe's niche was on an online platform. Like people like going to Fringe because it's like summer. Like you said, like it's summertime. You go to the tent. You go to the tent. We go to. You can go to like six shows in a day if you want to. It's outside. You can go to like live events. Whereas like some on like some festivals were able to like take their niche and move it into an online platform, but Fringe just wasn't able to transcribe that. Yeah, experience in the same way. And I think because like Fringe is so community based, that was one of the problems. And because like they tried to just like pull, put like, they tried to make like a one for one, like trade off, which I don't think worked well. Like they're like, put a full length piece online, which what they maybe should have really done is put like lots of short things. Yeah. You know, made it much more digestible. Versus, like, here's 10 pieces of one hour. Mm-hmm. Or maybe... And it also might have been, like, more, like, feasible for artists to make smaller works. You know? Yeah. Less time-consuming, maybe yeah. less costly. I think they did sort of waive a bit of the time restrictions. Because, like, I think our piece was only, like, 40 minutes or mm-hmm. something. Yeah. But I think it then also, like, there's a pressure on the artist to be like, but are people going to be willing to pay yeah. to watch a two-minute thing? Right. Because you're paying per piece. Like, that's the thing. It's not like you have, like, you're, you're paying the artists of that piece for watching that piece specifically. You're not, yes. like, paying. It's not like there's, like, a curated evening of, like, here, like, on, you know, if you go under, like, this heading, there's all of these pieces that we've curated into, like, a topic theme or whatever. And then, like, you pay for that. It's like you're paying per thing. So it's like, are people really going to want to pay, like, you know, 10 bucks even yeah. to see, like, a two to five minute film? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know if but this is would. This is, like, again, what I was just saying is, like, the one-to-one kind of, like, let's just put Fringe online. Whereas, like, they could have curated it. They could have been, like... Maybe, like, site-specific. Like, it's not like pe- events weren't happening last summer. Like, they kind of, yeah. like, took... I just think, like, it was really... I was really disappointed in Fringe last year for not, like, moving in a way of, like, site-specific outdoor work. I think there was, like, there was an option to apply to be site-specific... Right. But yeah, there wasn't like an option to like transform into site specific. And I think the issue too with Fringe is just like because of the way that it's set up like as such like as a festival. No, just like just like the way it's like the way that the deadlines sort of run yeah. in order for them because they have to because it's not just like one like group of people in one room doing everything. It's like there's all these different people mm-hmm. from different mm-hmm. contingencies of that festival that have to like get things in time to put them out. Like the marketing yes. team needs to get this and this team needs to get this. So there's it's all these such things. such a big organization. Exactly. Yeah. And so I think that was like something that I learned what, through working with them was just like, oh, like this is why these deadlines exist. Mm-hmm. And it's frustrating, but I think it also like then made it, like they had to make some tough calls, I think earlier than they would have liked to. Like totally. they had to make yes. the call to stay online in like, I don't remember, but like March, I think. <laughs> like it was early and it was like, yeah. and then if they'd waited until like oh. April, yeah. they would have had that. But Three it's weeks like- later, they would have had the option to do stuff outside. Exactly, but yeah. they didn't know that, right? Yes. Like no one has a crystal ball. And so it was like, you had to, in order for them to be like, how can we actually make this festival function? Yeah. When is the late, when is the last possible day that we can make a call? Yes. Like they had to make that choice. Yeah. And it just kind of like ended up sucking <laughs> because like I would but, love I would have loved I would love to see the uh the annual reports for the past two years in terms of <laughs> I would just love to just look at those numbers so yeah nice. yeah I think it's like it's easy to criticize the festival yeah, but I think percent. it also is just like they have to function in a certain way yeah. and there are just certain consequences to that mm-hmm. yes. and that being imposed deadlines and that being like a little bit less flexibility than something that's self-produced or yes. you know smaller scale totally. and there's also like i think a bit of an accountability because like you were saying nonprofit yeah. it's like there's an accountability for you to like create a standard and to maintain mm-hmm. a standard yeah. and and they probably have a board of directors you know that they have to answer to yeah yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I'm, like, hesitant to, like, throw, like, all the blame on them. I think it was just one of those things. It's, like, we were in a pandemic. Yeah. Nobody knew what we were doing ever. Yep. And, and like, they had to make a call. And they had to make a call. And then the rest of us just had to, like, deal with the fallout. And I think that's what, like, frustrates me about, like, the community response. Mm-hmm. Is then it's, like, you knew this. Yeah. Like, you knew what we were going through. Yeah. Because we were all doing it together. Yeah. yeah. And 
no, and then you still chose, like you actively chose to not show up. Right. Mm-hmm. Like that's where it's, that's where it hit for me. Yeah. Was like, yeah. And just, and because it's like, and there were a lot of people that were watching and not paying. And that's like, I get that's the whole part of like an accessibility I mean, that thing. That happened in the 2020 but, festival too. Like yeah. those films that were in the 2020, nobody got paid for it. Yeah. Then they said they were going to pay everybody. Like none of the artists got paid. Yeah. And Fringe they would pay everyone. I think because nobody watched it. Because nobody. What is which like is because, because which, is, which is interesting to me. Like, why would you do that again in 2021 when you know it didn't work in 2020? And yeah. that was like when everybody was actually watching things online. Yeah. Not in 2021 when we were like Zoom fatigued. You know. Yeah. I agree though. That's like it didn't work once. Yeah. Yeah. And so I mean, yeah. It, it, that that was it to me. Was like. We're set up with a certain, as, as artists, we're always sort of given parameters that we have to work within. Yes. And you can choose how you react to those parameters. Yeah. And I felt, and it honestly, like, it wasn't even just, like, the dance community. It was also, like, my personal community. Like, I have so many friends who don't live in Toronto. Yeah. And I was like, here's a way that you can, you always want to see my stuff and you never can because you don't live here. Yeah. And it's just, like, here's a way that you can actually see my stuff. Yeah. And then nobody took that offer and it was Yikes. like do you support this right like you know everyone says they support you but then it's like actions don't match words yeah and it's like and i get it i'm sure there were a ton of reasons why people like wouldn't have but fringe also went like they extended fringe yeah yeah right it like went a week right yeah like yeah. there was like a lot of extra time that fringe took yeah. that it wouldn't normally take mm-hmm. and like so it was like if you missed it the first two weeks you go and I understand too I kind of like dropped off the marketing of it as well like I don't like I think in the beginning I was like really pushing like social media posts and stuff and stuff and then after I got so discouraged of just seeing like I am doing so much work yeah like I am a one-woman production company I am like on vacation with my family because that's like what I need for my mental health right now yeah and I'm still like showing up and doing these social media posts every single day. And like 20 people have viewed it and five of those people are cast members probably. <laughs> um, so like, why am I putting in this effort? So like part of that could have been, you know, I could have just like dealt with that, but I also was just like, I just need to do what I need to do for myself at this point because like, I'm not getting anything from this. And right. that's fine. And that's like an important recognition to have, right? Yeah. Like, cause at the end of the day, you need to take care of yourself. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, you've talked to, like it about being this, like being your swan song, like this being your end. <clears throat> was it a decision before 2020 getting fringe that this was going to be the end for you? Yes. So this is why I went back and watched our first episode. So I remember. <laughs> um, oh, yes, guys. Nicole's been on the podcast before and she was like episode four. Like, <laughs> oh, gee. Please don't listen to that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. And I, I remember saying like, yeah, like when I'm 25, I'm going to like, I'm, I because I wasn't 25 at the time. And I was yeah. like, I'm going to give myself till I'm 25 and then I'm going to reevaluate my life. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like not going to put pressure on myself until that moment. Yeah. <laughs> And that was really great. It was a good decision. Um, I don't think I was actually 25. I might have been 26. I don't know. But I did. I just sort of said, okay, let's reevaluate. Right. What do we want? And I realized that I wanted a career. I wanted to have the option of a career outside of the dance world. Yep. And as someone who like left an undergrad unfinished, mm-hmm. That is hard because everything I was thinking I wanted to do is like, oh, I need a master's. I need a master's. And it's like, if I just had my undergrad, I could have just gone and got my master's. But now I have to go back and finish this stupid thing. And so that was really the instigator. And so because I didn't know COVID-19 was coming, I said, okay, 2020, I'm going to like, that's going to be my travel year. I'm going to like take my year to just like do what I want to do. And then fall 2021, we're going back to school. And then COVID happened and I was like, do I want to delay my return to school? And I was like, no, because I'm looking at at least three years of an undergrad to finish what I've got. Cause I'm entering a new program. program yeah. So I have to like get all of that. Like, it's not like I'm starting right where I finished. 
And then if I want to do a master still at the end of that, that's like another two years. So I'm like, um, if I want to have like an undergrad by the time I'm 30, like I should probably, which I like, that was sort of my goal. And I was like, I think this just needs to happen. And I just need to like be at peace with the fact that that like year of travel just like will happen at another point in my life. Totally. Um, so yeah, it was definitely still part of the plan. Like it was always sort of, and that was, I think what really pushed me to do fringe as well was it's like, I've always suffered from imposter syndrome, like the entire time I've been here. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that like, I didn't go through like a training program. Mm-hmm. Right. So I, I always felt like a little bit uneducated mm-hmm. if that I don't know if that's in, the right word in the dance world in the dance world but just like a little underprepared I don't know how to even describe it but I just felt like I was always playing catch up mm. and I don't know that that was necessarily true but that was like my interpretation of my own situation mm. and then I like because a lot of the work I did was like you know as always not paid and like I was just I also realized that Um, I was putting that there was certain aspects of being an artist that I could just like never actually implement in my life, like being okay with instability, Mm. like having to just like be at peace with like shifting tides all the time. Mm -hmm. And it's like, that is not something that is within my personal emotional capacity to do. Right. So recognizing that was important. And there was actually like a big, like eureka moment for me. Uh, in 2019, I went to Transformation. And I took Margie Gillis's class mm-hmm. and she was getting a little like <laughs> irritated with us because she would like give us these directions and then we'd all like kind of sit and digest the direction and then go across the floor. And she was like getting irritated that we weren't just like leaping into movement right away. And like, she's like, you learn by doing. And she said something, she's like, if you wanna be a dancer, dance. If you wanna be a student, study. Mm-hmm. And I was like, hmm. but I like studying. <laughs> and I was like, huh, maybe I should just be a student. Like maybe that, you know, and it was like, that was, and I didn't take it like offense to it. I was like, wow, I really needed to hear that. Uh Interesting. Because I feel like that was the start of me realizing that being an artist in the capacity that I was trying to be. And the reason I felt like an imposter is because I was being an imposter in my own self. Like I was not Mm -hmm. being true to who I am as a person. Mm -hmm. And like, I am a creative person, Mm -hmm. but like, the pressure of having to create constantly or like engage in that process constantly is not something that is like an organic thing for me. Mm-hmm. And I love, like I've always loved dance like academically. Yeah. Like I love looking, how does it, how does it connect people? How does it relate to like the greater concept of community in the world? Like all of those questions are what's interesting to me about it. And I think hearing her say those words, if you want to be a student study, I was like, yeah, like that's that's where I belong. Hmm. And it wasn't, and it was like, and this is why this has felt so uncomfortable is because I'm trying to force myself into a box, like pretending that it's a forcible thing. Right. When it's like at some point, you just can't do that anymore. Like you're just constantly going to feel unfulfilled and like you can't do anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I think that was also just like with Fringe was like, I need to prove to myself that I'm not leaving because I've quote unquote failed. Right. I'm leaving because I'm making an active choice to do something else. Mm-hmm. Totally. That then I can apply. Like I'm in kinesiology. Like that was, you know, that was also something I had a professor in university my first time around who, when I told her I was leaving, she was my dance professor. And she said, you know, do this, do dance. Cause she said, even if it's not dance that you're meant to do because you love this, it will take you down the path that you're meant to go. Mm-hmm. And I've like thought about that a lot. And just like, so the whole time I've been doing this career as a like active performing artist, it's been, I think it's always been in the back of my head of like what path is this taking me on? Mm -hmm. And that's what stopped me from also like completely devoting like a hundred percent of my time and energy into this because there's like always this thing in my head of like, this isn't really what you want to do forever. Right. Like I approached it of like, maybe I could do this forever. Like I was open to that possibility being achieved. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I think there was like a part of me that always knew that it wasn't forever. And Mm -hmm. so it was always looking for what is the other thing 
Mm-hmm. And and I think too, but the more I started to take class, the more I would like look at other dancers. And there was like, there's something that people who like can't see themselves doing anything else. There's like a way, there's something in them that like emanates outwards. Mm. It's like comes through their eyes. It comes through their face. There's like a thing that they have even just in class mm-hmm. that it's like this person will give their life to this art. Mm-hmm. Right. And I was like, I don't have that. Mm-hmm. Which is like fine. Totally. You know, also, like I'm, yeah. Sorry, just Also, it's like hunger when it's like younger people and it's like, cause they haven't been beat down by this <laughs> systematically. It's like people our age. Issue. Yeah. <laughs> it's also like, what a reaffirming thing to notice in other people mm-hmm. and to like recognize and in yourself and be like, that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. And it also made me question too, like then where is, because it, I think especially with Fringe and just like the lack of response to it. I did take that very personally, which is like the one thing you're never supposed to do, but well, I did it. And um, we all take our work personally. It's fine. We're too sensitive. Yeah. It's part of the thing of being an artist. Um, But like, I think that was also just like my immediate reaction was like, aha, I've never, I've never belonged here. Mm. I knew it all the time. Mm. You know, like that, it was like, it was like validating my imposter syndrome. That sucks. <laughs> that Which, sucks. yeah, was really hard. Um, I also don't know what belongs here. If that like makes you like feel better, like every single company, like TDT, I don't know if it belongs here. <laughs> Proarte, yeah. yeah. I don't know if they belong. I definitely don't think they belong here. <laughs> Like weird, like moving around, screaming postmodern movement. Not anymore. Like I just don't know what the fuck fits here. Yeah. You know? Like I yeah. guess my reaction to that was just after I went through like a bit of a spiral, um, like the ongoing spiral that was already <laughs> happening. Um, <laughs> like it was like okay, where do I belong? Right. Because I do love dance. Yeah. Like, it's not like, you know, like there is something about it that I don't want to not be in my life. And I'm right. like, okay, so like I'm leaving this book. How do I fit into this community? Like, where do I fit in? And then it was like. It's still part of the garage, right? Yep. Yes. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Community. Community. Yeah. That's how you belong. Exactly. And yeah. then that's when I was like, okay, I am good at administrative stuff. I can do things like the garage yes. and like work behind the scenes and let the people that actually like are actively engaged in the community do their talents, mm-hmm. do the things that they're good at. Yeah. Which, and I can do the things I'm good at, which is sending emails. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you know, Booking rehearsal space. Booking rehearsal space. <laughs> like those are things, it was like, it made me reevaluate what are my actual strengths versus what are the things that I've perceived have needed to be my strengths that I've then tried to make my strengths, even though they aren't my strengths. Right. <laughs> and that was also then, okay, now I'm in this program. It's a movement-based program. And how do I then, A, advocate for dance in a space that it is maybe not, like it's, the kinesiology is very sports-based. Yes. It's very athlete-based. Traditional sports-based. Traditional sports-based, you know, like, and I think it's like, here's a way for me to then become a voice for a community within this space, totally. you know? And I do own with my fellow students, especially because they're all young. Yes. You know, they're like 18, 19, a lot of them. And it's like in chats, I do, I say, oh yeah. And then dancers this. Yes. And it's like, because these are the people that are going to become doctors. They're going to become physiotherapists. Yes. They're going to become people that interact with our community yeah. regularly. Yeah. And here is an opportunity for me to go into that space and say, as you progress through this period of your education, keep us in mind. Consider it. Consider it. Because yeah. we have to do these things called peekins, which are like, gym class. Um, they're not for credit. They're free, but you have to take them. And so there's like, you have to do aquatics. You have to do first aid. You have to do track and field. Yeah. You have to do all these things. Mm-hmm. And people are always complaining about having to do the dance one. Cause people are embarrassed and like, you know, like people just feel awkward doing it. And I remember I like fully called, I just didn't call anyone out, but I just said, Hey, this is why these peekins are important. Yeah. I said, I'm a dancer. I know nothing about basketball. Right. If I'm going to become a physiotherapist to a basketball player, I better know something. About the sport. About the sport that I'm treating. And I was like, that's why you have to do dance. Because if you are going to become medical professionals, you have to understand certain components of what it's like to move in a dance space. Mm -hmm. Totally. And they were all like, I never thought about it that way. Mm -hmm. And And it's like, like, because you're 18. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You know, but it's like, here's an opportunity for me. And then in a professional space, 
too, to be like, okay, when I go out of here, like I think my focus is gonna be more like gerontology, which is like working with elderly people and aging populations. But even then it's like, maybe not. Like maybe here's a way, like if I get into physio school, which is like very difficult, but if I get in, it's like, you know, I look at other people in the community who were dancers and are now massage therapists and like other sort of body work osteopaths. artists, yeah. osteopaths, movement therapists, yeah. all of these things. It's like there is this whole world that once I have this kin degree, I can choose whatever I want to do mm -hmm. and like however I want to help this community. Yeah. And that was also helpful to be like, you don't have to leave because I think we hear this thing of like, you're all, you're still an artist, even though you've chosen to leave. And while like I hear that and I think that it's very true, it's like very hard for me right now to like fully internalize and believe that. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I think it was like, this is a way for me to be like, yes, I'm still part of the dance community. Yeah. Whether or not I feel like a dancer, whether or not I feel like an artist, I'm still part of this community because a community is varied in what it needs. Mm -hmm. And yes. we can't just have people that perform and create. Yes. It's like they need support. Mm -hmm. And so that's sort of where I've come to reconcile that. Totally. Yeah. I have like two comments to that. One, it takes a village, right? So I think that like that mentality goes in into a community and be like, it takes all sorts of people to make the thing work well. And I mm -hmm. then I think about, oh, you, you're still a dancer even though you left. I was like, do you ever really leave such a big part of your life? Yeah. Yeah. No, because no, it's always there. And it's like influencing every decision that you make. Because it's like part of your lived experience as a human being. Yes. Like you can't just like turn that part off. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And I, and I would hope that it would continue, that I would continue like once I do get into pro professional space, whatever that space is, mm -hmm. you know, like I have a friend who's done, she's doing movement therapy and she's like focusing on elderly people and like keeping them moving. And it's just like... Yes, that's a huge part of like not aging. Mm -hmm. Yes. Which like my parents, I think are about to like disown me now that I'm in kin because I just like keep <laughs> telling them like how to not age. <laughs> but yeah, I think, yeah, it's about learning. That was the big, big takeaway was that you can sort of redefine how you belong somewhere just because you don't belong in a way that traditionally people quote unquote belong. Mm -hmm. There's still like a place for you somewhere if you care enough about that community. Mm -hmm. That's so amazingly well put. Yeah. Thanks for that, Nicole. Yeah. Um, before we wrap up though, let's ask any, what are the garage's future plans? Is Ooh, there, yeah. is there <laughs> spill the tea? <laughs> yes. So there's a meeting coming up where we will decide that. Um, we had a, so it's, it's, it's Rumi and um, Fernando and I who are still sort of running it. Yep. Um, we took, we sent out like a poll on online yeah. to just be like, because the garage is community first. It's not about what I want or what Rumi wants or what Fernando wants. Mm -hmm. It's not what the three of us want to get. It's what the community needs. That yeah. is very important for us yeah. as facilitators of the garage to maintain. And so we wanted to hear, because there are places like, you know, West Side Sessions is popping up and like all of these other sorts of things that do garage similar things. You know, the Lovin' has been doing it. And we're like, is there still a space for what we traditionally did? Yeah. We want to know. So we, we set that out there and we, and we got some responses back. And it was sort of that, yeah, there still does seem to be a bit of a gap for like collaborative art creation. Mm -hmm. cool. um, so what that looks like specifically, we don't know. We will uh, probably be working towards a fall season, sort of starting like September to December, the traditional time spent, but yeah, that's up for discussion. Like we literally, we just closed the poll on the first and um, we've just been, we just have to set up a meeting with the three of us to like talk about how can we actually facilitate this, um, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So it looks like it will still be sort of like a membership based thing. What mm -hmm. that membership is gonna be, we don't, TBD. Something. Um, yeah, but it'll be, we want to create a space where people can really just kind of get what they need out of the community instead of, um, yeah, feeling like it seems like there's still like a lot of alienation in the community 
like people just feeling like, how do I get back in touch with other dancers after COVID? Oh, GMD being done now too. Like, yeah, so much weirdness. Yeah, so much weirdness. So, so yeah. So the answer is we don't really have like a a solidified plan because we really wanted to wait to hear for feedback from the community, and now we'll and now we'll we'll go forward with that in terms of what our format looks like, um, and you know when that will happen and everything. Totally. Yeah. Amazing. Is being an artist fucking killing you, Nicole? Well, it was. It almost (laughs) did. Um, But I think, yeah, I think there was part of it that tried to kill a part of me. Mm. And so in that respect, yes. But I think now it's like, also helping me learn how to live again. That's so nice. Yeah. Is your French piece viewable for people if they want to see it online? Do you have it like on YouTube or video? I currently do not, simply because it was like such a tumultuous thing. And I was like, I don't know. Like I, I watched it a couple of times and like every, I have like times where I'm like, I can't actually watch this. Like I just, it's so, awful (laughs) i don't want anyone to see this ever again um so right now that is something that existed in a space and no longer exists but i still have it so we never know but um (laughs) yeah uh, will you go and see fringe this year nicole i don't know Mm -hmm. um it's sort of it depends like i'll be working full-time and in school still so it's more of like a scheduling thing Mm -hmm. i would love to go like i mean i know people who are doing it and so i think it's really great to do that especially it's the first live fringe in a while Mm -hmm. i think it is important that we go back out there and just say yes we support people making art like even if you go to like one piece you know it's like just show up and say yes this is valuable and like reaffirm other artists to other artists that they are valuable yeah right thank Um, you so much nicole yeah yeah thanks for having me i would have you back yeah what a time five years later yeah i can't even but when i (laughs) looked at four years that's what it is right 2018 four years yeah yeah yeah, four years four years we who knows what years are anymore (laughs) time time is a construct Everything is contract. We live in a simulation. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Thank yeah. you so much, Nicole. Um, if you like today's episode, let us know. Check us out on anywhere you can get podcasts, basically. <laughs> Radio, right? Weird. Um, anyway, thank you guys so much. At Galpal Prods, you can see Nicole at uh, nicole.a.fall um, on Instagram. Yeah. Yay. Thank you so much. Um, remember, we only have a few episodes left. So subscribe. Subscribe. <laughs> we'll see you soon. Bye. Bye.